morning. <laughs> Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that you've done. I just pray that you speak through Pastor Jesse, and I just pray that every word that comes out of his mouth is because you are speaking through him. And I just pray that these kids, they understand and they get the concept of what Pastor Jesse's trying to talk about. And amen. Awesome. Good evening. Tonight, uh, we're just going to get right into it. What book have we been studying? Daniel. It's Daniel. That's right. Possible. Does anybody know what chapter we're on? Two. Yes, we're starting right. We finally made it through the first chapter. It's only taken us three weeks, so we're going to jump into chapter two, and we're picking up a little steam tonight. We're actually going to cover the first 19 verses, but before we get into that, let's cover some of the questions that we always cover, because it's important to know some background information when you study a book of the Bible. While we're walking through some of these questions, if there's some blue ones back there on the table, grab one and you can use that. So question number one, who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. That's right, Daniel. Daniel, we make that one easy. When do we believe this book was written? Six is there. In? Remember, I, I made it easy. We just said sixth century, okay? Is my battery dead? Oh, no. Well, I got a light on over here. Pardon us, technical difficulties. We're going to see if we can fix it. Hello? Is that working now? Better? All right. Thank you, sir. Everybody say thank you. <laughs> this, this people group, we got Daniel. Who came in and conquered the Israelites in the book of Daniel? Only, I was going to say only one person? Did you, was that you, Eli? Good job. It was the Babylonians, okay? So they come in, they take over. Hey, quick quiz. Get the Babylonians' name. Nebuchadnezzar. You guys know that one, okay? I think Daniel and his friends were when they were taken into captivity? 15, 16, somewhere around. And last question. Well, actually, two more. What are the two languages it was written in? Hebrew and Aramaic, which actually, as we're walking through this passage tonight, somewhere around Daniel chapter 2, verse 7, is where it switches in the original languages to Aramaic. And then it stays there for several more chapters. So it's, that's significant because the book of Ezra and the book of Daniel are the only two books in the Old Testament that have Aramaic as one of the languages that were, they were written in. That was a common language um, of the time. So, last question, what's the main theme that we've talked about in here? God's sovereignty. That's something that we see over and over again but through the book of Daniel. There's a lot of different things going on. And there's a lot of things that when we look at it, think that doesn't make sense. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God work that way? And through this book is that God is sovereign. Even when things don't make sense, even in the way that God works, we see control no matter what. In that chapter we've gone through, the Babylonians come in, they take over the nation of Israel, and what they do is they take all the young people, they take like the best of the best, and they take them back to their own town, and what their plan is, is they're going to take those young teenagers, we've got specific guys here, we believe there were probably some girls in that as well, but we've got these teenagers that they're going to take, and they're going to train them. 
They're going to teach them to be Babylonians. They're going to re-educate them. They're going to try to wipe out everything they've known. They're going to try to wipe out all of the religious upbringing that they have. And they're going to teach them to be Babylonians. And then the plan is they're going to take these young people and they'll send them back into the nation that they conquered. And when they do that, those young people will go back and take over and rule over their own people. Are we still having problems up here? No, you're good. Everybody say, hi, Mr. Dave. Do I, do I have to use this? Oh, man, I hate having using handheld. That's okay. No, we're good. Up. That's what we're going to do. Jared, I'm messing up your microphone. Hello. So I turn this one. Turn this one on. Hello. 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 Hey, that's better. Is that still recording on the soundboard? Are we still good there? Pardon our technical difficulties tonight. Sometimes, hey, just so you guys know, this this is a normal thing for me. If you were here on Sunday and you saw me trying to do a baptism, you know that my microphone wasn't working. And that's happened to me several times I've been up there. But the best part is the first Sunday I ever preached in this church, it was actually Promotion Sunday 2016. I'm standing up there and I'm starting to preach and I'm getting into the message and all of a sudden the music pastor at the time walks up behind me and he starts messing with that little black pack on the back of my belt, which was really kind of awkward, but it's because the microphone wasn't working. So I'm used to that. So we'll just roll with it and keep it going. So Daniel chapter one, all these teenagers, they've been taken back to Babylon. They're going to be retrained, reeducated, and the plan is to send them back over the nation of Israel and let them rule the people. But this guy, Daniel and his friends, we find out real quick that they've got a different plan. They have decided, they have resolved that they're going to follow God no matter what. And the funny thing is they pick a tiny insignificant thing to take a stand on. Do you remember what it was? Food. The plan was that they were supposed to take the food from the king's table and they were supposed to eat it. And Daniel and his buddies said, no, we're not going to do that. For a couple different reasons, what we believe are a couple different reasons. Number one, it would have been food that was sacrificed to idols. Number two, there's a pretty good chance that it was not, uh, uh, I can't talk. It was not prepared according to God's requirements for those specific types of food. So they would have been unclean before God had they consumed that food. So they decide on the matter of food they're going to take a stand. They're going to be resolved. And the amazing thing is, is that God watches over them and God provides for them. And they set up this whole 10 day test of try us and give us vegetables and give us this other stuff. Don't give us the king's food and see if we look better. We're better fit than everybody else. And at the end of the 10 days, they actually were. So these guys that decided to take a stand on such a small thing actually ended up having influence over their peers and over the other people around them because they were resolved to follow God no matter what. Guys, that's huge for us because what often happens is what we'll do is we start to compromise on little things. When we know what it looks like to honor God, we make little choices and take little steps away from being obedient to God. And when we don't take a stand on those little things, before we know it, we're starting to give way in the big things. We're starting to turn away from God. We're starting to walk away from God. We're starting to do things that we know don't honor God on a regular basis. That's why the little things are such a big deal. And that's why that stands out to us there in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, we start to see some of the influence that Daniel and his buddies had on the people around him. So I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 
And we're going to walk through 19 verses tonight. So hopefully your feet won't get tired while you're standing here. But let's try this. Here we go. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, this is where the switch happens, O king, live forever. Tell your servants of the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is, this, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to the, his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we are here. God, we thank you that we can spend a few minutes in the middle of a busy day and a busy week in your word. God, help us to understand what this means for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I'm going I'm to sum all of those 19 verses up in one sentence. In fact, has anybody gone on social media and looked at our student ministry account today on Instagram? Do you remember what that sentence was on the little thing for tonight? Anyone? What's that? You were close. No, no, it was this. When everyone else can't, God can. Remember that sentence. When everyone else can't, God can. That's exactly what we see play out here in this chapter. There's a phrase, and, and I didn't tell her I was going to tell this story, but there's a phrase that, that Miss Kathleen uses. I'm getting the stink eye right now. There's a phrase that Miss Kathleen uses. I have heard this, I don't know how many times in the 30 years that I've known her, 
And it's this phrase, it's dad can do it. I can't tell you how many projects in our house, how many times we've had car trouble, how many different things where I'll look at it and I'll think, I have no idea what I'm doing here, or I don't know how we're going to make this thing work. And all of a sudden, Miss Kathleen will just pipe up, dad can do it. And the amazing thing is 99.9% of the time he can do it. I can tell you guys about so many different stories. There was one particular time we were having trouble with, with Miss Kathleen's van in uh, Tallahassee and I had no idea how to fix it. I tried, I tried. There weren't enough YouTube videos that showed me what I needed to do. So her dad, who at that time was going through chemotherapy for lymphoma, came to our house in Tallahassee, sat in a lawn chair next to the van under an umbrella because his skin was sensitive because of everything he was going through. And without ever getting underneath the car, walked me step by step through exactly what to do to fix that van. And guess what? It ran beautifully after he did that. That's a man that can live. I've watched him build walls and bathrooms and porches and airboats and all kinds of stuff. Guy's incredible. But there is a rare occasion where he can't do it. And every once in a while, and he hates to admit this, he'll have to throw up his hands and say, I can't. See, the reason that matters, guys, is because every one of us is going to fail at some point. We're going to come up against things that we can't do, things that we can't accomplish, things that we just don't know how to handle. And the people around us, they're not going to know how to deal with it either. And what we have to remember every time we come up against a wall like that is that when everyone else can't, including us, God can. God can make a way. God can make things happen. And that is exactly what we see happening here in this passage tonight. Look at Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1 again. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Basically, the king has a nightmare. Anybody in here ever have nightmares? Yeah, every once in a while. I, I, will, I will tell you this. How many of you actually remember your dreams? Why are you shaking your head at me right now? Miss Kathleen's afraid of what I'm going to say next. How many, how many of you remember your dreams? I'm jealous because uh, you put your hands down. I pretty much never remember dreams. I've got like three, four dreams in my entire life that I can remember. You ask me in the morning, hey, what did you dream about last night? I got nothing. I wake up nothing. But the king here, he's having nightmares. And those nightmares are so strong that they are waking him up. And they're so strong that they're causing him to bring people in to tell him what the dreams mean. He calls for his advisors. He said, I need you guys to come in here. I need you to help me understand what's going on here. Now, remember, we learned at the end of chapter 1 of Daniel that God had given Daniel a special ability. Ability. Do you remember what that was? What's that? Interpretation of what? Dreams. All these guys are coming before the king, but there's only one person that Scripture has told us has been given the ability to interpret dreams. What we talked about last week, guys, is this idea that God didn't change the situation that these boys were in. What God did is he equipped those young men to be able to handle the situation they were in. He left them in that foreign culture. He left them in there with those different lifestyles and those different ways of learning. He didn't take them out. 
Too often in our world, what we try to do as disciples or believers is we try to remove ourselves from the culture because we don't want to be uh, tainted or we don't want to get involved with all of those things that people are doing that don't honor God. God didn't change their situation. He didn't take them out of that culture. Instead, he equipped them to be able to stand firm in that culture, to be able to stand resolved. And part of that equipping was the ability to interpret dreams. And then in verse 3, And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. See, we talked about back in chapter 1, dreams in this culture, dreams were, were seen as a, uh, uh, they had meaning. When kings would have dreams, when leaders would have dreams, they assigned meaning to those dreams because they believed that those dreams were sent by the gods to tell them how they were supposed to lead and rule the people that they were guiding. So Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to know exactly what's going on here. Clearly, he believes that this disturbing dream has something to do with his role as the king, and he needs to know what it means. But we also see maybe a little bit of distrust here between Nebuchadnezzar and his advisors. Because he tells him, I don't want you to just tell me what the dream means. I want you to tell me what the dream was. I asked you guys before, raise your hand, if you remembered your dreams. Have you ever remembered the dream of the person next to you? No, you haven't. Because we don't have that ability. We're not able to tell somebody else what they dreamed while they were asleep. But that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar asks about the men that are standing in front of him. He doesn't say, just tell me what the dream means. He says, tell me what I dreamed. You talk about pressure. You can make a dream mean anything. That's the easy part. It's kind of like interpreting poetry. How many of you have ever had to do that in English? How many of you don't really like doing that? Yeah, the hands just went way higher. Absolutely. Because here's my thinking. The author wrote the poet. It means whatever the author meant for it to mean. It doesn't matter what meaning we assign to that poem. It is what it is. But there's a world of people out there who are waiting to tell you what your dreams mean. I was curious this afternoon. I got online and, and, and Googled. Can I say that? Is that a, that's a verb now? I can say I Googled it. Um, I got online and looked, and there are hundreds and hundreds of websites on dream interpretation to tell you what your dream means. If you, if you have dreams about your teeth falling out, if you have dreams where you're standing on an edge, which I make people nervous when I do this, or you have dreams where you're falling or dreams where you can't speak, all of those are supposed to mean something. And while there's some commonality between some of those websites, most of them have a different meaning for every one of those things. Because you can make a dream mean anything you want to. So the king is basically saying, I don't want you guys to just make something up. I don't want you to lie to me. I don't want you to tell me what I think you want me to hear. What I want you to do is I want you to tell me what I dreamed. Because if you can tell me what I dreamed, then I can trust that you can tell me what that dream means. He's putting them on the spot and even tells them, if you can't do it, you're going to be in trouble. In fact, what does he say right there? He says, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. 
He said, I've given you a task. If you can't do it, you're going to die. I'm going to destroy everything that you have. But, but if you can do it, you're going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to give you all of this stuff. So he is putting their claims to be wise men to the test. And look at what happens in verse 7. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you don't make the dream known to me, there's but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. He basically says, quit stalling. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're talking to the king. You guys, y'all know what this looks like because you've done it in class before. You got a teacher that's talking and you know they're about to give you an assignment or they're about to do something that you don't want to do and you try to get them off on another subject. You try to, yeah, all the time. You try to get them talking about something else, hoping that if something else can grab their attention, they'll forget where they were just going with that. That's that's what these wise men are doing. They're talking to the king and he says, I know what you're doing. You're trying to stall for time. But finally, they have to come to the point and just admit the fact they can't do it. Look at what it says in the next verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. They say, King, this is impossible. There's nobody that can do that. But the amazing thing is what their next statement reveals. They claim that only the gods can interpret the king's dream. And what they say right there is that their dwelling place is not with flesh. Here's what they just said. They said, King, we can't do what you've asked us to do. And these gods that we claim to represent before you, these gods that we claim to have the power of when we stand before you, they can't do it. They can do it, but they're not here. They've just admitted that their gods can't do what the king is asking them to do. Guys, that's huge. Because he says right there, he says, the gods, excuse me, where is it? No one can do it except the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. What they're doing is they're admitting that they're incapable of doing what God, kings asked them to do, and their gods can't even help them. What a, con- what a contrast between the false gods that they worship and the one true living God that Daniel follows. Daniel has never come to the king and said, my God said this, my God will do that. Now he's going to do that a little bit later, but he hasn't done that at this point. These guys have. They've come and these are the gods that the king has followed. And now they've said the gods can't even help us do this. That's huge, guys. When you see in Scripture people who claim to believe something, people who claim to put their trust in something, and then they turn around and say, but we can't really rely on that. Because the God that Daniel and his friends follow is the one true God. It's the God of the Bible. That God dwells with his people. Their gods, they're not in the flesh. They're not with their people because they're not real. But the God of Scripture dwells with his people. Daniel would have known this because if you remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, Daniel, as a young boy, would have been brought up in the Jewish faith. He would have learned the Torah, which would have been the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of our Old Testament. And listen to what some of those passages say in Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
God was physically present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He was there physically. And yet their gods, they don't dwell in the flesh. Or how about in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, if you continue through Scripture, you see time and time again that the God of Scripture was with His people. He wasn't some idol that they worshipped. He wasn't some thing that they thought existed. He was there. His presence was there. It was a reality that could be seen with the people of God. And the same thing happens in the New Testament. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The God of Scripture is an incarnate God. What that means is that's a God that's present. That's a God that's here with us. He's an intimate God that can be known, that can be interacted with. He was there during Daniel's time. He was there in the New Testament. And he's here with every person who's put their faith and trust in him right now. You're never alone when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because he's always with you because Scripture promises us that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he is ever present with us. He is always there with us, walking through every moment of our lives with us. Because God is here and God can do the impossible. Never lose sight of that. Never forget that. When everybody else can't, God can the gods of these other wise men, they were incapable of doing anything. But Daniel's God, he's getting ready to show off. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So Daniel and his buddies, they weren't even there when all of this happened. They don't know what's going on. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made known the matter to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So the king is not satisfied with their answer. He's so angry, he says, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me the answer. And then when they say, we can't do it, he actually goes through with it. But he doesn't just go after the guy standing in front of him. He goes after all of those wise men in his kingdom. The guys, Daniel and his buddies, weren't even there when all of this happened. And yet they're seeking them out to kill them as well. That doesn't really seem fair, does it? I mean, guilt by association. Anybody in here ever done a school project in a group before? Anybody in here ever struggled with somebody in your group not doing their job? If your hand just went down, you might be the one that didn't do your job. Yeah, I believe it right there. Okay, put your hands down. So you know what that looks like when you get in trouble or you get punished because somebody else didn't do what they were supposed to do. That's exactly what's happening here. And Daniel says, hold on a second. 
That's, that's not how this is supposed to go down. So he is, he is so confident in who God is and what God is going to do that he goes and he makes an appointment to talk to the king, to tell the king the interpretation of the dream. God has not told Daniel anything yet about what that dream means. God has not told Daniel what that dream is, but he is so confident that he goes ahead and says, make me an appointment. We're going to take care of this. We're going to give the king exactly what he needs. See, Daniel's resolve keeps showing up over and over again. It shows up here because of his confidence in what God can do. Daniel knows with everything in him that God can do what all of these other guys say that their gods can. Daniel knows God's going to come through. And look at what happens in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel knows with everything in him that when everyone else can't, God can. And that knowledge drives him and his friends to their knees. They know that God can do what no one else can do. And they come before God and they cry out to God for deliverance and they pray together. They pray for each other and they pray for themselves. And God does what only he can do in verse 19. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God shows up. God shows up and God actually shows Daniel exactly what he needs to be able to go back to the king, to tell the king what the dream is, to tell the king what the interpretation is, and God does only what God can do. And Daniel knew that. Daniel knew that from the beginning. Daniel knew that God was going to do what only God can do because when everyone else can't, God can And my question to you tonight is this, do you believe that's true about you? Do you believe that in your life? That when you come up against things that don't make sense, when you have things that are going on that you don't understand and you don't know how God's working or why God's working the way that he is and you don't see any way out of it, do you honestly and truly believe that when everyone else can't, God can? What's happening in your life right now that would cause you to cling to that truth? What is it that's going on that you need to be reminded of that every single moment of whatever it is that you're experiencing? For some of you right here, right now, life's going great. But you need to be reminded of that truth because there may come a time where you wonder, how is God working? What is God doing? What in the world is going on? And you need to remember that when everybody else can't, when the world doesn't make sense, God can do whatever needs to be done. That's the truth that we see in this passage. Maybe you're here tonight, and what you believe is that God can't even forgive you of your sin. But you need to know that God can. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sin, for my sin. And in that act, Scripture tells us that he paid the penalty for our sin. And that relationship that we have with him that we know, that every one of us knows is broken because we try to be good enough, we try to be right enough to get to God, and we just can't do it on our own. When we can't, God can.
God made a way for us to know him. God made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And if you're here tonight and you've never taken that step, you never asked God to forgive you of your sin, you need to understand that there is nothing that you have done that is bad enough, nothing that you have said that is bad enough, nothing that you have thought that is bad enough that God won't forgive you. Because when everybody else can't, God can. And if you're here tonight and that's the step you need to take, I want to encourage you to do that before you leave this room tonight. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Put your faith and trust in Him. And before you leave here tonight, if you make that decision, please, please, please find one of the adults in this room or a friend that you trust and share with them that decision. Because they want to celebrate with you and they want to pray for you. And they want to help you walk through every single day remembering that no matter what you come up against, when the world seems like it's falling apart and nobody else can't, or nobody else can, God can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, God. And we thank you that we can trust that you will always be there. And God, I pray right now that you'll help each one of us to remember that when things don't make sense, when things seem impossible, God, you can do anything that you determine yourself to do. And God, if there's anybody in here tonight that's never put their faith and trust in you because they're holding back, they're holding on to, to whatever it is that's happened in their life, God, just thinking that you can't forgive them for that. God, show them right now how much you love them and show them that you absolutely can and you will. God, help us to trust you. Help us to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.